Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam wa rasulullah. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, the most merciful, the praises to Allah, we ask for his peace and his blessings to be on Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, his last and final messenger, in a series of messengers bringing the message of la ilaha illallah. There is none to worship except Allah. This is your host, Yusuf Estes, the national Muslim chaplain, visiting here in Peoria, Illinois. And our beautiful masjid here, and uh, this is like the plains area out here, by the way. You almost expect to see corn growing all over the place around here. This may be corny, but we like it, right? Alhamdulillah. Every time I come here, there's blessings for me, and I hope for all the people here too. The program today is entitled, strangely enough, The Harsh Questions and Attacks Against Islam and turning that into something good and helping people enter into Islam. This is taken from an email that I wrote back to somebody who was complaining to us. And they were saying, oh, people are picking on us Muslims today and they're saying we're bad. They said we're terrorists and we're you know, bombers and killers and hijackers and all of this and we really feel bad about this. What should we do? So I said, let me let me think about that for a minute. And then I wrote this. I hope Allah will accept it from us, inshaAllah. I wrote back to them and I said, any good is from Allah and the mistakes are from myself. And I ask Allah to guide all of us to truth. I mean, assalamu alaikum from Yusuf Estes, the Muslim institutional chaplain. I have some good news and I have some bad news. Which do you want first? Usually people say bad news. Well, I'm going to give you the good news. The good news is there was another person entered into Islam today. Alhamdulillah, praise be to Allah. And the good news is I just received another new shahada that said he learned Islam from our website. He understood the message. Then he contacted his local mosque or masjid he made his public declaration of faith called the Shahada. And now he's trying to share Islam with his Christian family members. Alhamdulillah. But what's the bad news? The bad news is there are Muslims who seem to be straying away from Islam and their responsibilities. Uh, and more bad news. Islam is coming under heavy attack from the very devil himself. Now more than ever before, the Muslims must and can have to be prepared to answer these harsh attacks against them and in everything for which they stand. Every aspect of Islam is coming under this attack. They're attacking the belief in one God, Allah. They're attacking the prophethood of Muhammad when all he did was bring the message, worship God alone without any partners. They attacked the Quran without even knowing what it is. And everything that Islam means is now being presented by the enemies of Islam in twisted and corrupted views on every front. Even the Muslim children are starting to turn away from Islam Ignorant Muslims in starving countries are being persuaded to abandon their faith for other teachings for a bowl of rice. 
and others are openly attacking and even killing Muslims due to their lack of knowledge. We're talking about Muslims killing Muslims. And this is certainly <laughs> not something acceptable at all. But there's more good news. There is a clear and effective solution to the problem. Actually, this is a great opportunity for all of us to present Islam in the correct way to these people. A way that works, inshallah, God willing, and all based on the very simple and beautiful principles and teachings from the Quran and the Sunnah or the way of Muhammad sallallahu And this can be implemented in our daily lives and should be before it's too late. The successful da'wah, da'wah means sharing, calling or inviting, inviting people to experience Islam. And the successful da'wah has shown us hundreds of cases of new Muslims who, just like myself, were one time enemies to Islam and then they realized the beauty and the truth and then they became Muslims. And not just Muslims by name. Not just Muslims on Friday. Not just Muslims during Eid or the Tarawih of Ramadan. But actual committed servants to Allah ready to endure any sacrifice in order to bring correct understanding, love, truth, and justice in submission to the will of Almighty God. In other words, callers to Islam. It doesn't really matter what question somebody asks you about Islam. It could be anything. The idea is that they are at least asking. And that's what's important. And it means that we get a chance, one more chance, to give the message the message to worship Allah, Almighty God. Worship Him alone without any partners. That's what Islam is all about. Now what I want to do is give you an example of what we're talking about and let you have a chance to see what actually happens when Islam comes under attack and then someone applies the principles of the da'wah or calling to Islam based on the teachings of Muhammad wasallam. Just following his methodology, Minhaj of Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Someone comes to us and says something really horrible. And they say, How do you explain the horrible way that Muslims treat women? And in particular, a woman would like to have a position of authority. A woman would like to be, for instance, a speaker. Or she would like to be a judge. And yet, when this comes up in some country, they say they have to kill her for asking. Well, that's a pretty harsh question. But let's see how we'd answer that. First and foremost, always begin by acknowledging what they say has your attention and it has value. Don't respond to hate with hate. Don't reply to ignorance with more ignorance. And never fight fire with fire because then what? Everybody gets burned. Instead, attack hate with love. What? Yeah. You say, oh, I'm going to love these people. 
there's a difference between a person and what a person does. A person isn't what they do. A person can change. A doctor doesn't hate his patients, does he? He hates the disease that the patient has. So the disease of ignorance is offset with the medicine of love. The disease of ignorance is offset with the medicine of knowledge. The disease of anger, animosity, and violence is offset with the medicine of sabr, patience, perseverance, and being steadfast. So when they come to you and they say, well, how can you be in a religion that stay and kill all the Jews and Christians? You know and I know it doesn't teach that. Or they come to you, how can you be in a religion that tells you to beat your wives? No such thing in Islam. How can you be in some kind of faith group that's all about violence and hatred? And you know that's not right. But if you argue back and say, no, it's not, you're the one. You guys are the ones that tried to spread your religion with the sword. You guys, you came to the, to the Muslims in Jerusalem a thousand years ago with your crusades and you slaughtered Muslims. It's in your books, read it. You're the guys that came, your Catholics came over to Spain, killed all the Muslims and took over Spain in 1492, January. It's in the books, read it. Go ahead. But what will happen? They'll just try to find another excuse to keep going. They won't listen to that. This is not the way to reply. And besides, you're exaggerating. Some of what happened in that historic, those historical events we just mentioned is the fault of the Muslims too. True or false? So let us be a little bit better than the people who are stooping this low. And remember, they're ignorant. And they also don't re represent all of the non-Muslims. They don't represent all the Christians or Jews, do they? No. So just take it slow. And this is how, inshallah, we'd answer the question. I'm going to read it to you now, going back to the letter. Thank you. This is how you reply. Thank you for asking about my religion. And thank you for your good question. But before we begin to give answers, there are some important points we should keep in mind. As Muslims, we can't lie about anything especially our religion. And Allah tells us in the Quran, Ya yuldin amanu, attaqallah wa kulu kawlin sadida. Oh, you who believe, have God-fearing consciousness about you. Fear Allah and always speak the truth. If I lie, I can go to hell forever and I don't need that. So I'm going to tell you the truth to the best of my ability. The other thing is that in addition to having the truth, we have the proof. Even if I told you the wrong thing, you could find it out anyway real quick because everything about Islam has been preserved for 1,400 years. We have the original documents. You want to know what the Quran says? It's still there in Arabic. You don't have to go look at how many different versions or manuscripts or who said what about this or that. It's there. If you don't know Arabic, all you got to do is find somebody that knows Arabic and ask them to read it to you. Simple as that. 6,327 verses of the Quran never been changed. Not one of them. Hey, there you go. The hadiths of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa are preserved in Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslims, and others. 
which are sahih, which means in Arabic, authenticated. They know he said it because they know where it came from. Same people that passed down the Quran. Hello. No, there you are. You want to know what it says? There you are. The Quran and the teachings of Muhammad are preserved. The third thing I want to mention to you is that we have to qualify what somebody's saying. Compare that to what it means. Because sometimes what we say isn't really what we mean, is it? Sometimes questions are not really questions. They're information or statements with a question mark. And I like to give this example to the people and let them think about it. If somebody comes to you and says, can you answer me yes or no? You go, yeah. What's the question? Is your mother out of jail yet? No, my mother's not ever been out of jail. No, 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 no. Yes or no. But she's never been. No. Yes or no. Is your mother out of jail? Well, she's not in jail. Well, she's out of jail. Good. I'm glad she got out. So no matter how I try to answer the question, I'm stuck because the question contains a statement which is not true. Your mom never been in jail, has she? Hope not. That's pretty horrible, isn't it? And who would talk like this? How do I deal with somebody like that? I've got to straighten out the question. I have to. So please keep that in mind while we're talking here. Next thing I want to talk to you about is this. While you're listening to the answer to the question, if you hear yourself say, gee whiz, I didn't know that. Well, wait a minute, that's the opposite of what I was told. Will you consider the source of where you got it from? If somebody lies to you and you find out they lied, what are you going to think about them? I just told you, we can't lie. And we're now showing you something and you find out that where you got it from is not true. Will you consider the source? And then if you hear yourself saying, gee, I like this answer. This makes sense. That's the first time I heard. My God, that sounds good. I like it for me. Are you going to be ready then to reconsider your position and consider worshiping Allah alone without any partners? Because see, that's what Islam, that's what Islam is really all about. Worshiping God directly and not what he created. Muslims never worship the creation. They worship the creator as one God. Based on what I just said, are you ready for the answer to your question? They go, huh? Yeah. But now they're in a totally different position than they were five minutes ago, aren't they? How come you Muslims are worshiping a black box in the desert, kissing the ground five times a day? How about that one? What do you reply? Remember? Thank you for asking me about my religion. In Islam, we're committed to the truth because if we don't tell the truth, we go to hell forever. Second, we have the proof so we can find out what's actually taught, try to discover the reason behind things. The next thing is, though, sometimes questions, not questions, they're misinformation with a question mark. And while I'm giving you the answer to this question, if you hear something that sounds good to you and you said, yeah, I like that, makes sense. And if you heard yourself say, gee whiz, somebody lied to me, what are you going to think about that? Are you going to be ready to do something? Because that's what this is all about. Our religion is only about one thing, worshiping God. 
on his terms. Based on what I said, are you ready? Let's check out the answer. Now, right about now, you might say, well, gee, I don't know what is the answer to that. Never thought about it. Take your time. If you know the answer, give it to them. If you don't, simply tell them, listen, let's go get the answer together, you and me. You brought up something good, I'd like to know too. Let's go to the people of knowledge and find out. You have knowledgeable people here in your community. Here in Peoria, Illinois, there are some very knowledgeable brothers that I've met. And by the way, (laughs) knowledgeable sisters too. People here that I trust, that I would ask them. In fact, since I've been here, I've been asking them questions. I like the answers. So you don't have to go around the world. You don't have to make long-distance phone calls. It's not long-distance from here to this side town, is it? No, I didn't think so. You can find out right here in your community. Fact is, last time I was here, when I arrived, I was listening to the teacher who was speaking at the time. I'm sorry, I forgot his name, but he was telling us about Iblis. He was explaining where the word Iblis come from and what it meant, and that was the first time I ever heard it, right here in this monastery. So you got knowledge here, you don't have to go very far. And Allah tells us about that. If you don't know, go to the people of knowledge, find out. Make sense? That's what you got to do. Let's see if we can come up with an answer for this question. By the way, I did a little research on it. And a man came to me with that very question in Toronto, Canada. Right after one of my speeches, he said, How come you Muslims are worshipping a black box in the desert? Why? And so where did you get that from? He said, Well, that's just what everybody knows. I said, Thank you for asking me about my religion. I went through the steps. We have the truth. I have to tell you the truth. We have the proof. It's all preserved. We can go look together, you and me. But along the way, if we find out somebody lied to you, what are you going to think about that? And by the way, if you hear yourself, gee, you know what? I like that. Are you going to be ready to act on what you know? He said, yeah. Young man, about 20 years old, approximately. Said, well, here we go. Called all the brothers back, set them back down, turned on the uh, microphone, and began to explain. First of all, what is that thing sitting in the desert? You know where it is? It's in Saudi Arabia. But it wasn't always called Saudi Arabia. In fact, we the non-Muslims, talking about years ago, used to call it Felix Arabia, and Felix meant huge, big, really, really big. Arabia was the big desert. That's what they called it, Felix Arabia. And that black box was there then. It's been there for a long time. How long? You might be surprised to find out. Would you like to know who built it? Foundation for it was there, but who built it? Abraham. Abraham. We know this to be a fact that Abraham and his son built this this box, this cube, this huge square black building for all the people for all time to come there and to do the rituals of Abraham for worshiping Allah. It's not something new that came with Muhammad, peace be upon him. He merely put the people back on track that had kind of staggered away from it. Because they introduced idol worshiping over there and they had all kind of gods and set them up all around the place there. 
they had 360 gods in that place that we call the Kaaba. And they used to parade around in circles, some of them taking off all their clothes, walking naked around there. So when Muhammad, peace be upon him, came, Allah guided him through the angel Gabriel to know the right way to do it, what to dress, and how not to undress at the same time. Now, if you want to know more about that, the foundation that this is on is even older than Abraham's time. Guess who put it there? Your father. My father. Adam. Yes, Muslims believe in Adam as the first man. We believe that Adam was the first man. God created him from dirt or clay. You say, well, wait a minute. That's what we believe. Of course. It's not a new religion. It's not a new belief. God created all of us from Adam and from Adam created his mate. These two, Adam and Eve, brought forth all the human beings, men and women. And that's the beginning of chapter 4 of the Quran, what I just told you. What? Yeah. Take a look for yourself. Now he's saying, hmm, I didn't know that. That's what we wanted, wasn't it? He said, I didn't know that. I like that. Adam ate the fruit that he was forbidden to eat. This is a story we have. He said, well, that's what we have, the forbidden fruit. Yeah. This was Adam's only sin that we heard about. Did you hear about any other sins of Adam? Huh? Somebody tell me. No? That's all we heard about. The first sin is because Adam ate fruit. Because he ate the fruit, disobeyed Allah, He got in trouble, yes or no? Now, according to some scriptures that are out there that lie with the Jewish faith, they said that God couldn't forgive him. He wandered around unforgiven. He's in all kind of trouble. They even said that God cursed his children and his offspring forever and ever and ever. Amen. Horrible. Some of the Christians said that means everybody's born in sin. Born in sin. In Islam, we don't have that. In fact, Islam, we know what Adam did. After God put him and his wife and the devil out of the paradise, onto the earth, what do you think Adam did? He realized his horrible mistake. He disobeyed God. It wasn't about fruit. God doesn't care about fruit. Do you think He cares if you? But He cares about you obeying commandments. Just like for us, we don't eat pork. Jews don't eat pork too. You know that. Why? Because He ordered you not to eat it. If you said, "Well, it causes diseases," blah blah blah. But now we have refrigerators, so we blah blah blah. It doesn't matter. What would have happened if Adam would have said, well, you know what, we have refrigerators now for that fruit. Wouldn't it be all right now? No. He said, don't eat it. What's the problem? The problem is people don't like to obey, do they? And then once they make the mistake of making a sin, they don't want to repent. What we know is something beautiful. Adam repented. 
he repented to Allah and he said, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I won't do such a thing anymore. And guess what? Allah accepted that from him and forgave him. And Eve said, I'm sorry, please forgive me, and sincerity, I'll never do such a thing again. And Allah forgave her too. Now when Adam did this, he was so repentant that he couldn't hold up his head. He needs to bow down in front of Almighty God. And he did. In fact, he bowed all the way down to the ground. And where he put his head on the ground marks the spot where that Kaaba sits today. It's a token and a reminder of the human being's repentance. And all of us should repent to him. It's a place that prophets from time immemorial have gone and they've performed their pilgrimage or their hajj. Just as they go to the Holy Land and prayed in Jerusalem, which they used to do that too. They used to put up booths. It's mentioned in the Bible. They called them booths. It's actually called baits. Booth, bait, means a house, a house of worship. And that's what they used to erect. Read it in the book of Genesis. He said, the boy was telling, talking to me, he said, yes, I've read that. I didn't know what these booths are. I said, it's little houses, small places to go in and worship. Like what we call a masala today or mosque. You might call a temple, a church. It was a place to go in sheltered where people don't bother you. Animals won't run over you. You can put your head down on the ground in security and safety and you can cry to Almighty God, Oh God, Oh God, forgive me. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And in this condition, Allah forgive you. And this is what prophets used to do. But this was one of those places. And so when Abraham peace be upon him, became a prophet of Allah. He traveled. He wandered around and around and around. And when he came to this place, he knew what it was. So on the occasion, when he received the dream about sacrificing his son, he tried to sacrifice his son, but God didn't really want him to do that. But he was willing to, willing to kill his own son for the sake of God because of a dream. But then... Allah sent an animal, a ram, and they killed this sheep instead of killing his son. And then he sacrificed his son in another way by taking him out to this location along with his mother and left the two of them there. This is the story of Sarah, of uh, Hajr, not Sarah, and not Isaac. It's the story of Hajr and Ismail. And this is the place. And he, Abraham, peace be upon him, and his son built up this kaaba, this cube on that place, that same foundation. And that's the same place and the same structure similar today. So when Muslims face that direction five times a day, we're not worshiping the box. We're not worshiping the foundation. We're repenting to God and worshiping the God of Abraham and Isaac and Ishmael and Noah and Moses and David 
and Suleiman and Jesus Christ, whom we also believe in as a miracle birth. The God of Adam. That's all we're doing. And when we gather together once a year for the Hajj, the pilgrimage, on the ninth day of Arafah, the ninth day of Dhul-Hijjah, we go to Arafat in the desert. All of this is a part of being forgiven by God. All of this is to show God that we want to obey Him. We want to repent for the fruit that we ate. Not the fruit that Adam ate, the fruit that we ate, meaning our sins. And each of us knows we commit sins every day. True repentance in Islam comes from what? A sincere desire to be forgiven and never to commit those sins anymore. We don't have a substitute for ourselves. We don't rely on Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, to be executed and then say because he got executed, we don't have to worry about it anymore. No. In fact, he told us real clear. He even told his own daughter that on the day of judgment, I can't help you. Not unless Allah wills it. I can't do a thing. Because it's between you and God. That's a beautiful thing about Islam, you know. Young man looked at me kind of funny. I said, that's right. It's kind of peculiar. We have direct connect. Immediately, you want to talk to Allah, you don't have to go through an imam or a priest or a mufti or an alim. You don't have to go through a bishop or a minister or a pastor. You want to talk to God, you just open up your heart and start talking. Direct connect. No monthly bill. Alhamdulillah. Young man was looking at me like, hmm, Nodding his head. He said, that makes sense. That makes sense. I said, in Islam, it's kind of strange. Now, I'm going to give you a little general talk about this subject. When I talk to people in general, I tell them Islam came strange. And it's going to return strange. And that's what Prophet Muhammad told us. It came strange. It'll return strange. Give the good news to the strangers. Every time... A group of people have committed their lives to following a prophet. They have found tests and difficulties and trials coming from their Lord. We know this in Islam. Because you said, I'm really ready to obey God and do what He wants me to do on His terms, you think He's going to let you off light and you're going to go, da 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 da. No. He promises you a test like he tested the people before so that he can show you so that you'll know who are the truthful and expose the liars. This he says in chapter 29 of the Quran. Read it. I didn't say anything other than what he said. Does it make sense? Think about it. The people who followed Moses, were they tested? How many times does the Bible mention that they were in the land of Egypt in the house of bondage? 
Quran talks about the same thing, how they suffered. And it was horrible for them to suffer, to see their children being killed, their wives being abused, suffering the agony and punishment that the Egyptians put on them. True or false? And finally, Allah sent Moses with miracles to show Pharaoh, Pharaoh, look, this is from God. You're not God. You're not the Lord. He's the Lord. And Pharaoh would be almost convinced. Then he'd harden his heart again. Miracle after miracle come to Pharaoh through Moses. Pharaoh almost convinced each time. Finally, he has to lose his son. And then he weakens down and lets go of the children of Israel. And Moses saying, let my people go. My comb, my people. Pharaoh finally let him go. Then he changed his mind and he went after him. Now look at them. They're just walking. They're innocent people. Look, they've been beaten up for so many years. And now they're just walking away. And here he comes after them with his army to destroy them or take them back into slavery. But Allah blessed them. And he made it so that when Moses stretched out his rod and hit the water, it opened up. The land dried even for them. And they went through this, this passageway. The water didn't bother them. They walked to the other side. Isn't that a miracle? And Pharaoh doesn't even notice, hey, look, what's happening here? He just chases in after him. Why? Well, pride most likely. Pride will blind you. Blind you to anything if you have too much pride. May Allah save us from that. Amen. When they reach the other side safely, Pharaoh was still coming after him in the water. What did Allah do? He closed it in on him. He drowned him. All of them. And just before Pharaoh drowned, he said, wait, I, I believe in the God of Moses. I believe in the God of Moses. The angels are concerned about it. Look at this horrible, rotten scumbag to his whole life. Now he says this, and now God's going to forgive him. Just let him go. No, not at that time. It's too late for him. When the inevitable's in sight, it's too late to change. That's a good lesson for all of us, isn't it? Don't wait till the last minute, because that's what it is. It's the last minute, and it's too late. Don't wait until the angel of death enters the room, and you're the only one seeing him. Don't wait till then, and he's coming after you, because it's too late to repent. We need to repent. Now, what happened next is, the children of Israel, the followers of Moses, became impatient while Moses was up on Turisim, Mount Sinai. They became impatient. Where is he? What's going on? And one of them said, you know what let's do? Let's, we need to have a God to worship here, you know, for good luck. Let's take all that gold we got that we brought with us. Let's melt it down and make a calf like they had back in Egypt. It worked for them. Look at all the stuff they got. So they did it. They made up this false god out of a cow. An Arabic called Bakara, which happens to be the name of the second chapter in the Quran, Surah al-Baqarah. And that's where you find the story I'm telling you right now. 
What happened? They began to bow down to this false god instead of bowing down to Allah. Moses came down from Mount Sinai, had the commandments with him. Was he happy or angry? He's mad, really mad. Was Allah angry? You know that's right. But because Allah has so much mercy, He didn't punish them on the spot. And He could have destroyed them for what they did. After what Allah did for them, this is the payback? To worship other than Allah? In the Bible, Allah compares that kind of worship to whoredom and prostitution. The Quran doesn't use these kind of terms. You just thought you'd like to know that. It's still considered by Allah so horrible that He says in chapter 4, the women, there's a whole chapter about women in the Quran. And in that chapter 4, verse 48, you can read it, and Allah says it. He doesn't forgive anybody to set up partners with Him in worship. But anything less than that, He can forgive it. Anything less than that, He can forgive it. It's the first commandment for us as Muslims, thou shalt not have any other gods beside me. You say, wait a minute. Oh, oh, no, no. That's the first commandment for the Jews. And I've been telling you right along, there's no difference. And don't worship any statues, idols, or anything on this creation because if you do, Allah is not going to accept that from you. You're going to be in trouble. You say, wait a minute, that's the second commandment for the Jews. Mm-hmm. And be sure whatever you do, you don't take God's name in vain. Any of His 99 names. Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Don't do that. And Muslims don't do that, by the way. You never hear Muslims making jokes about Allah or any of His names, ever. We don't make jokes about Muhammad either. And we don't make jokes about the Quran, do we? Mm-mm-mm-mm. And we're sure not going to lie. I told you that when I began. We ain't going to lie to you. That's just how it is. By now the young man is looking at me like, now oh, this is amazing. I didn't know that. <sighs> Did you also know that we, as Muslims, know that there are a lot of Jews who are going to paradise. A lot of Christians are going to go to paradise. And some Muslims aren't going to go. I said, what? That's right. Only the ones that are sincere, believe in God, and do good works, are going to have a chance. Because your good works in front of God, by themselves, are like filthy rags. He said, wait! That's in the book of James in the New Testament. I said, I don't know where it is. You don't have to tell me I was a preacher. He said, oh, that's right. But at the same time, faith without works is death. He said, isn't that the book of James? Yeah. Oh, my God. He said, a lot of people teach things that are not really in their religion. But what we know as Muslims, without doubt, if you can see it, you can't worship it. If you can hear it, smell it, taste it, feel it, imagine it, it's not God, you can't worship it, it's what He created. We worship the unseen God, the same God mentioned in the Old Testament. 
They go, oh, oh, wait a minute. He started thinking about it. I said, as far as our salat, we're not doing anything different by bowing and prostrating than what the Bible says about the prophets who used to bow down and fall on their faces in front of God. It mentions when Moses went to the burning bush and he had to take off his shoes. Holy ground. The sanctum sanctorum for Moses and the children of Israel was a place where they had to remove their shoes before they went in. It's a holy place. And only the religious people could go in there. Who are not religious can't go in there. Today, for Muslims, everybody's welcome to come in our place of worship. But you do notice we remove your shoes, don't we? It's an act of cleanliness because we're going to put our head on the ground. And we don't want to drag in all that trash off the street and bring it in here and put our head on. And who are the ones today looking more like the prophets that you believe in? Who are the ones growing their beards? Wearing the long clothes, the modest dress. And what about the women with the long dresses and the covering over their hair? And don't they always depict that for the people of the time of Jesus and before? The religious people always looked like that. Islam is the submission and surrender in peace to the will of God. If you believe God is one, He has no partners, and you want to worship Him on His terms, you want to do Islam, then you're a Muslim already. So now I'm going to ask you, did you hear anything today that made you think, gee whiz, I didn't know that. I like it. He said, yeah, I sure did. I said, are you going to be ready now to consider to worship your Lord alone without any partners? He said, yes, I am. He said, you're ready to declare that faith now and begin to act like it? He said, yes, sir, I am. I said, are you sure? Because in Islam, there are five things you're going to have to do and six things you're going to have to believe. The six things to believe, you have to believe in God. He's one. He doesn't have any partners. You have to believe in His angels. And they always obey Him in all that He says. You have to believe in His books, all of the books, the Bible, the Torah, the Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, the books of the prophets, all of it, we believe in all of it, came from Allah. And of course the Quran. We don't accept the Quran in English, only in the original Arabic. Therefore, we don't accept any of the other books translated either. They have to be the original. If you say, well, those don't exist anymore. Well, remember you said that. We still have the Quran. It's clear. What's the teaching? doesn't contradict itself. He said, well, that makes sense. So the other thing, we believe in all the prophets, but we don't say bad things about them. We're not going to say the horrible things that I've heard coming from other sources, saying that some prophets ran around naked, cursing their own children for seeing them naked, getting drunk, sleeping with their own daughters and getting them pregnant. No, we don't have that in Islam. Or even having sex with their own mothers or stepmothers. Things like this, I've seen it, read it. We don't have that in Islam. You know why? Because our prophets, this is a condition of belief. I'm just telling you a belief. 
We believe that the prophets were all of them very high people. They were human beings. They made mistakes, but they never made the big mistake of worshiping other than Allah. And they always brought the message clear and straightforward and didn't make any mistakes in that. All of the prophets from Adam and Noah and Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Ishmael and Jacob and the twelve tribes and David and Solomon and Jesus the Christ, peace be upon him and all of them and Muhammad We have to believe that. He said, well, that makes sense. I said, and we take the status of Jesus down one notch because we don't call him a God or a son of a God. We bring him down to the next notch, the next level, which is the level of the highest of high, which is prophethood. And we make no distinction between the prophets. However, we do know that Jesus, like Adam and Eve, was created in a miraculous way. Jesus was created with no father. This is a miracle. Eve was created with no mother. This is a miracle. Adam was created with no mother or no father. We don't worship Adam. We don't worship Eve. We don't worship Jesus. And we don't worship Muhammad. And we don't worship Moses. And we don't worship the stick of Moses either. And we don't worship the black box out in the desert. We worship the God of all those prophets. That's what we worship. And by the way, we believe that there is a next life. There is a day of resurrection. There is a day of judgment. There is a day of payback. There is a paradise for the good people. And there's a hellfire that's real for the bad people. And also, we believe, as a condition of faith, that everything is in God's control. And He never loses control. He has full control at all times and all power of the fate of what's to come. So we don't have to worry about that. It's all from Him. The five things that we have to do are, first, declare the belief that I just told you about. Second, begin to learn how to do the Salah that you asked me about. The bowing and the prostrating in the direction of that box that you thought we worship, which we don't. Fasting the month of Ramadan in the daylight hours, no food or drink, no marital relations. And as soon as the sun goes down, you resume food, drink, etc. Then paying charity, no income tax in Islam, by the way. There's no income tax. The only Assessment is on the wealth you hold for over a year's period of time. And then it's a small percentage, tiny, 2.5%, which is distributed to the poor. Not given to a church, a temple, a synagogue, or a mosque. No, doesn't have to go there. It's up to you to do what you want to with it, as far as giving it as zakah. Certain limitations that you'll learn about. It's a small amount. It's a wealth tax. He's going, that makes sense, that makes sense. Said, and finally, to make Hajj to the place you asked me about. Once in your life, when Allah makes it safe for you to go, then you'll get to see it. You'll see the place where Adam put his head down. You'll see the building 
that represents the original building that was there that was made by Abraham and his son. You'll have the chance to go around that just as they did and go to Arafat, the place where Adam and Eve, your mother and your father, my mother and father, where they met again after coming out of the paradise. Wouldn't you like to do that? He said, you bet. I said, say a shadu an la ilaha illallah. Wa ashadu anna Muhammadin abduhu rasul. He said it. He said it. And then he started crying. And all the people in the room started crying and saying, Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. It was a great feeling. You know what happened? I went back to Toronto, Canada a year or so after that. Young man came up to me with some of his friends. He had his long thobe on a beard and come up to me. Hey, Jake, salam alaikum. I said, walaikum salam. Okay, Balik, how are you doing? Everything's cool. What's up? Do you remember me? I said, mm-hmm. No, I don't. He said, you don't remember me? I said, no, brother, I don't. He said, maybe you don't recognize my beard. I said, I, I, it won't remind me. I'm the one who asked you about the black box in the desert. Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided him. And we've seen it again and again and again and again. One of the great events that I got to experience, Allah let me be there, the island of Curacao, we saw 135 people stand up at the same time and give the shahada the same way. Wow, Akbar. The one who was with me that day is one of my best friends, Mutahir Sabri. Make dua for us, the like said that. And make dua that we'll be able to come back again here and carry this message out to these people before it's too late for them or too late for us. Until next time, I love all of you for Allah. And I ask Allah to forgive you and forgive me. And grant us success here and on the day of judgment and in the next life. Ameen. Wajizakum Allah khair. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.